This episode is proudly sponsored by Chronologic. By the time you contact a buyer with calls and emails, someone using Chronologic has already held the meeting. Learn more about how to harness the power of AI scheduling at scale. Visit chronologic.com at the link in the show notes. So when we got into real campaign planning, we came out with a flood of ideas, more than we'd ever be able to execute on. So many that were so good, we were at to our darlings. And that's kind of the point of it, right? Don't don't start with the, the minutia. Start really big and then start to whittle it down into reality. Right? Yeah. And then when the CRO says, all right, you got three months at $100,000, you do that all over again and say, that? But with no resources and no time. <laughs> right? That, <Yeah. laughs> with, without Rihanna. That's that. <laughs> I'm Scott Logan, and we're making fun of marketing. Welcome, everybody, to this special edition, or at least in my book, special edition of Making Fun of Marketing. Two amazing go-to-market leaders are joining us, Justin Keller and Jay Bear. I'll have them introduce themselves here in just a second. Make sure that you do the the regular thing where even now my six-year-old starts his own videos on my phone with like and subscribe. I don't know that he even knows why he's saying that, but when I said I had a podcast recording today, he goes, remember to have them subscribe. So there you go. So let's go with the introductions. Uh, Justin, could you start us off? Yes, I am grateful to not have to go after Jay. So hi, my name is Justin Keller. I'm currently the VP of Revenue Marketing at Drift and Revenue Marketing means a lot of things to a lot of people. I'm basically at the service of Pipeline for our sales team and our marketing team. So that's what I focus on all day, every day. I've been doing B2B marketing for almost 20 years now. Um, and other than that, I'm, I'm here in Indianapolis. I got a couple rusty dogs. I'm a musician and I like to drink a lot of wine. And those are those are my main thing. Awesome. The the music and wine match well together, I assume. They do. Yeah, they, they, it is peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> nice. Jay. I'm Jay Bear. I am a business growth author, advisor, and researcher. I've been in digital marketing since domain names were free all the way back in 1993. I've had a series of global consulting firms that helps the world's largest brands get better at go-to-market. Currently, I spend most of my time as a professional speaker traveling around the world, giving presentations to business leaders about how to grow their business, specifically around speed and responsiveness these days. I am also formerly a host of the Social Pros podcast, named the best marketing podcast in the world multiple times, and did 600 episodes of that show and delighted to not have to host this show, Scott. So thank you for, <laughs> for doing that. And in my spare time, I, I, I listen to music. I do not play music, but I'm also the world's number two tequila influencer. Awesome. That is very cool. I kind of got a hint of that when you said you were dropping off a, a bottle of tequila to Justin. I was like, oh, there's something there. So, yeah. <laughs> well, those two things, living in Indiana and, and needing to drink a lot, probably go hand in glove, actually. But that's it's true. <laughs> and I might be out of place with my shirt as I see dark power suits and, and clothing over there. <laughs> but when I go to Jay's website, it says you got to pick the suit if you have them for a keynote. So I'm that's like, right. I'm going to wear the funkiest shirt that I, I possibly could. Yes, hashtag pick plaid. You get to choose which of my I now have sixteen suits in different in different colors that you get to pick from when I show up at your event. That's awesome, and that's a kind of a good segue into this topic for making fun of marketing, where we want to emotionally connect with folks, make it memorable, and a lot of times I'm absolutely guilty of it, putting out statistical based 
white papers and then saying, how do we make this fun? Well, infographics, that makes it fun. And it's the same stats with colorful things like my shirt here. But to a, a quote that you have, Jay, we'll, we'll start with you here for this topic. You once said recently, B2B doesn't have to be boring to boring. And we're still people. We're emotionally drawn into things that we care about. And you need to do that in a way that still differentiates. So what does this mean to you? Well, when you think about most B2B marketing is rendered at least partially online. Yes. I mean, yes, there's offline events and there's direct mail and things like that. But a lot of B2B marketing today is online, at least in, in portion. And consequently, it is governed by some kind of algorithm. It's governed by Google's algorithm or Meta's algorithm or LinkedIn's algorithm or or whatever algorithm you, you select from. But the reality is that every algorithm is tuned the same way, which is when human beings react, you get credit for that. We'll ask Justin, but, but I guess I would use the word permission to do something that they know they would like to consume. And instead, they take all the fun or differentiators out of that and say, all right, let's execute this in a very narrow band of, of sort of execution styles. And in fact, the research from marketing profs and the Content Marketing Institute this year talked to thousands and thousands of B2B marketers and three-fourths or maybe even four-fifths of them said that they believe there are scenarios that they are better than their competition at the quality of their content in B2B. It becomes mostly a paid campaign, and that's a, a tough way to make a living, as, as Justin certainly knows at Drift. Yeah, and, and Justin with Drift, Drift has one of the most known brands out there. Coming home from trade shows, even my boys have Drift stickers all over their skateboards, <laughs> <laughs> and they had an emotional connection to it. They don't even know what you do or care, but they love it. And so maybe you could give some insights there on, on that same topic. Yeah, I think... Coming from the practitioner's perspective, I've got, I've had this uh, accidental privilege. I don't even know if that's what I'd call it. I stumbled into B2B marketing thinking it was just like B2C marketing. Um, so I came into this from a, the wrong point of view, thinking like, look, this should just be like B2B DC marketing. Like, I think every marketer has an instinct to want to get people to pay attention, to tell a story, to do something that makes people raise their eyebrows. Otherwise, why are you doing it? You'll make more money in sales if you just want to be coin operated like that. It's not a gamble to do something that makes someone feel. It's not like you're going all in on something where you're either going to make it, you're going to have an awesome quarter of a year, or you're going to get fired, right? This isn't a binary thing. And I think that may be part of what is what scares B2B marketers from, from doing things like that. And right now... In a tough economy, and I think this is true regardless of what, what the macroeconomic status is, but I think right now, especially being able to be intentional about what you want to do, the message you want to put out, how you want to stand apart from everyone is just a massive competitive wedge and it costs marketers exactly zero dollars to embrace it. And so I think that's where marketers need to really understand that if they're trying to gain outsized results playing the same, you know, we've all got the same tape, tech stack. Jay mentioned, like, we're at the mercy of, of the internet. The only thing we can really do to be better than the rest is deriving from creativity, individuality, and just believing in yourselves. Yeah, I always, yeah. I always think about, like, what's the strategic argument for doing it like everybody else in the category? <laughs> 
But yet, yeah. but yet, I and I've been in this conference room a lot of times where CMO says, well, I don't want to do it because nobody else does it that way. To which I say, precisely, <laughs> that's that's exactly why we should do it that way. But it's like, wait, are we not talking in the same language? Do we not understand what the point of marketing is, right? And I'm glad Justin yeah. talked about branding because it seems to me that so often in B2B, we think that branding starts at purchase, right? That branding becomes like a mid-funnel and below circumstance, right? That branding is a lot of what keeps people renewing licenses and is more of a retention mechanism. But branding starts the first time they ever hear of you, which yeah. is usually top of the funnel marketing, which may not even, and in fact, I think a lot of the best top of funnel marketing isn't about your product or service at all. So to that point, Justin, having been on lots of marketing teams, there's tons of creative ideas and amazing ideas that come from the people on the team or even outside of that team that ideas come to you. And in one situation, I had a white paper that had really great insights. And then we made the creative a little bit more fun and put B, X, Y, Z as or AF, basically, and put AF and underlined it. And it had way more downloads and actually from a piece of content, decent pipeline from it, a CEO wrote to one of our executives how offended he was and we immediately had to take it down. And they're like, but, but it, look at the numbers from this thing. So how politically, or how do you navigate that politically, Justin, when you're in the workings of the scenario you just outlined? If it's me, I'm wearing that as a badge of honor. I'm like, look, this is exactly, people are paying attention to this clearly. And Honestly, if you're not upsetting anyone, like everything you're doing should upset 5% of people. If you're not upsetting someone, you're also not getting anyone to pay attention. Yeah. If everybody yep. likes it. If everybody likes it, nobody loves it. That's just math. Another thing is on the differentiation side of things, uh, Jay, you have a report out that talks about speed mm -hmm. and at Chronologic, we're all about yeah. the speed of that top of the funnel. There are other things that are differentiating that say so you already have a lot of good content could you dive into the speed component of the differentiation? Yeah, I've got a new research report called The Time to Win. You can grab it at thetimetowin.com. I don't even ask for your email, which I guess in and of itself is a little unusual. And what we found in that research is that people care about time and how they spend it more than ever. A pandemic's part of it. We sort of learned that, oh, wait, we don't have any promises or guarantees, actually. And we kind of remembered that everybody gets 1,440 minutes a day, period. You can't buy more, you can't make more. Yep. And consequently, when you were working with customers and prospective customers, respecting their time and being faster than they expect and anticipate is actually a massive competitive business advantage. And it actually works in B2B marketing. There's an example I use in my keynote presentation about this topic from a company called Zek, Z-E-C-K. And they make B2B software for boards of directors. And their contact us form, right? You're just an initial inquiry says, put in your email address. We'll get back to you fast, maybe faster than Usain Bolt. I'm like, bro, if you're going to name check Usain Bolt on your contact form, like you better get back to me fast because yeah. you are setting up a scenario where if I don't get a response for a day, I'm like, these guys are not the answer for me. So I love it when when organizations set expectations that consumers don't anticipate and then can live up to it. And I think Drift is a great example of that. Yeah. 
Justin J alluded to drift is the epitome of fast. You're on the website and you can talk to the right person and get the right answers right away. How do you approach that? I think Jay nailed it. Right. And about, I may be able to restate it a little differently and say that I think one of the reasons the speed is so important and the quality of the response is so important is because it indicates to an interested party that you give a shit. So like that promise, being able to deliver faster than you mm-hmm. saying bolt, right? You, that's you're setting a, a big expectation. If you fail to deliver, you're gonna you're gonna lose trust, right? So, Zach obviously believes that that is super important, and that to the visitor indicates that they actually care about me and care about my business. And that's kind of the premise behind Drip, right? Like instant access, get the answers you want, but also, like, don't have to don't rifle through our website if you don't want to. Don't go searching to Google. Like, we're here to at your service friendly website visitor to help you however you want. And I think honestly, all of this goes back to how it started, right? With if, if a marketer really gives a shit, they want to do something that indicates, look, I care and believe in what my company does. I care about my customers and I want to make sure I'm representing that everywhere from the brand impression to how we're responding to an inquiry. Yeah, exactly. The way I always summarize that and Justin nailed it is I'm not saying this is good, but I will tell you that it is true. We interpret speed as caring in all elements of our life. I had to get a painter for this house not long ago, and I and I called three painters, as one does. First painter got back to me in four hours with a quote. Second painter the next day. Third painter, two days. Which painter did I hire? The guy who got back to me first, who was not the Sorry. least expensive. In fact, was the most expensive. But I did not care. Why? because I interpret speed as caring. Every customer on the planet has the same thing going through their head at that point, which is this. If it takes them a long time to get back to me before they have my money, anybody who's taking the one second necessary to open up the Drift interface clearly has a need. And the faster you can satiate that need, the faster you can extract money from their pants, period. Yep. That's a mic yep. drop right there. That's yeah. <laughs> that's just true. <laughs> yeah. For and sure. that's, why you, for that's sure. why it's so critical in every competitive situation to be first, right? You don't necessarily yep. have to resolve the issue, but you at least have to touch them back fastest. Back to my painting example, painter number two, painter number three. Why do they think they lost? Price. Probably money. Price. Right? price. Of course they thought it's price. I've been doing this my whole life. We always think it's price. It's human nature. It's business human nature. It's almost never price. It's literally almost never price. But we always think it is because we assume, well, they don't have a better mousetrap. They don't, they're not any better than us. They must be cheaper. Those guys will do it for less. So what happens is the next time there's a painting bid in this town, painter two and painter three drop their price. They still don't get hired because they're not any faster. They're just cheaper. And they're like, wow, it's getting competitive out there. Third time around, they drop their price again. They still don't get it. They're like, I can't believe how inexpensive this guy will paint houses for. He's a fool. And it's only on the fourth competitive bid when they've given away all their profit do they get hired. Because at some point there is a tipping point, right? At some point the customer says, I mean, geez, if it's going to be that cheap, I'll take my chances on responsiveness, right? When you lose on speed, it is almost always invisible to the organization. 
which makes it one of the most dangerous games you can play in any business. Exactly. And to relate that to B2B experience I just had, I took advantage of an offer that was emailed to me. At the end of filling out the form, it said an invite is on its way. And I thought, wow, they figured out the chronologic motion without using chronologic. I'm very fascinated to see how they do this. And granted, their speed was okay. It was like at the end of the day that they got back to me, but it was the standard SDR motion. So on the flip side of that, with the advent of AI and AI responses mm-hmm. and ChatGPT and, and where it maybe is more than just creating a draft for you, it's responding for you. Is there risk there? I don't know, Justin, you want to touch on this first? I think, honestly, it's an ally. It's going to help with a lot of the minutia. Like a lot of the things that marketers get bogged down on, I think it can help. And if that is true, then a marketer should be taking that extra time to figure out how they can create a better experience or a more unique, more unique experience, how they can better surface like the soul of a brand and use ChatGPT or something like that to just help them set it off. It's a great point because the thing about generative AI is that it is incapable of taking the kind of chances that we're talking about. Yeah. You're not going to get breakthrough landing page copy from uh, from chat GPT or Bard or anything. It just It's not set up to do that, right? It's set up to ingest commonality and spit back commonality. So, so this idea of B2B doesn't have to mean boring to boring. Like if the more you use AI to actually execute, there's 0% chance you're going to be able to break through. But what Justin says is really important. I want to make sure everybody caught that. Use generative AI to save you time so that you can take the time you've saved and invest it into doing things that a bot can't do. If a bot can easily create your marketing, your marketing sucks. And let's let's give it up. Let's pretend next GTT, whatever number we're on, 5.0 comes out and is able to generate really cool new ideas. Everyone will start doing it. But then again, now all of a sudden it's all the same again. Your ability to interpret and make it your own is something that I don't think a bot can ever do. I wrote this five years ago, and it turned out to be pretty prescient. I didn't mean it to be, but it turned out to be. I said, in a world where everybody owns the same robot, the strategist becomes the king. And it's way more true now than it was when I wrote it. Yeah, absolutely. And is there a worry on when you put these things out for marketing that, sales reps who ultimately always want to have control over everything that you do, no matter what campaign it is, they <laughs> fear There's that- There's a podcast in of itself right there. Oh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> they fear that this isn't good. They squash it. They complain all the time. And they read Every one article- Every salesperson from... in the world thinks they could be a great marketer if they would have chosen that career path. Exactly. Exactly. Is there a, a fear there that you actually should preempt when you start to implement these things? I think if- it's about saying the context. If you are going to be using a bot to generate email copy or act as a rep, you should make it clear because that way people know what they're getting into, right? And this goes back to, do you give a shit? If you don't give a shit and you want a bot to do that work for you, that's totally fine. And I think you're, you can accept whatever outcomes happen. You're taking that time and investing it back into your audience. Yeah, and one of the things I think that this comes down to is how success is measured on your marketing team. You know, Drift obviously is an advanced B2B marketing organization and measures the success of Justin and his squad based on pipeline, actual contribution to revenue, and, 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 and those kind of true dollars metrics. 
But it is astonishing to me how many B2B marketing organizations still largely measure their success by how much stuff did they make, right? Yeah. Volume is not a success metric. But when you have an organization that does feel like volume is at least partially a good thing, the whole idea of generative AI is like amazing for them. Like, oh, you're telling me that now we can make three times more blog posts that nobody reads. We can send out 10 times more emails that people delete. I would say it this way, the best marketing organizations make the least amount of marketing because the marketing they make succeeds the most. Yeah. Fully co-signed with that. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. In connecting that to the sellers, that's great. Do they then just carry on their way and create opportunities and sell the same way? This is, I mean, this is the oldest story in B2B, right? A actual real life example, something that Jay and I worked on together. We, we had, we had a virtual event that was called break shit, right? And it was intentionally about it. I mean, honestly, it's, if this podcast could be a three hour event, it was just like, how do you just break away from the norm? How do you do things differently? Got really smart people to do it. The name of the event was quite provocative and to the point where our sales team hated having to promote it. I got a lot. I mean, I was the day before lunch texting my CEO at 7 PM saying, you're sure you're cool with this. Right. And the sales team dragged their heels because they didn't want us to invite me. Hey, hey, persons I'm annoyed to deal with. We're having an event called deep breath break shit. I'd like to invite you. Yeah. That said though, it was the highest pipeline generating event in company history. It's, it's just, it was a mammoth success because exactly like this podcast is trying to get done. It went, it, it just kind of flew in the face of what B2B was all about. And so it's, it's a tough line to tell, right? You, you definitely need to be what we've talked about earlier. You're not upsetting anyone. You're not impressing anyone. You got to be doing that. Jay, do you typically see sales folks get energized by that type of thing and they can get behind it? I think one of the things I learned many years ago, doing a lot of work with Exact Target long before they even got bought by Salesforce, is when you have high level marketing that is intended to break through the clutter, the first audience for that, and probably the second audience as well, is internal, must be internal. Yeah. It has to be sold to the marketing team first, the executive team second, and the sales team third before you ever even utter it outside your building. To go one layer deeper on Justin, your comment about over communicate, one thing that I've done, which throws people from old school, the marketing folks that I bring on board for a loop, but I'll bring sales in to the actual planning of the campaign itself. Yep. They feel a part of it. Now, whether they contribute or just sit there or like hoorah it in the meeting or, or actually a lot of times they add value to it, that it, it seems like that's another mechanism where one step deeper, now all of a sudden you have the demand, the of a team and the top rep super stoked. Well, by nature, everyone else is going to be super stoked. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And your byproduct of that is they get to see how the sausage is made. Yep. And they then want to be marketers more. And then they see that 80% of our time we're looking at data and they're like, well, this is really boring actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're about to get fired as well. If you're CMO, yeah. Like I'm just looking at my watch here. How long do I have left? <laughs> yep, exactly. So <laughs> if you were to, we, we talked about a few things where make your content emotionally connecting. We talked about the speed component. We talked about bringing new ideas and, and tying those ideas to sales. 
Where do you start? Well, this will sound overly reductive, but I think ultimately you start by understanding what is it they're trying to accomplish. Obviously, people want to grow revenue, et cetera, et cetera, but there's a lot of different ways to do that, right? Are we are we trying to create net new relationships? Are we trying to increase average lifetime value? Are we trying to improve retention? Are we trying to cross-sell, upsell current clients into a new uh, set of products and services? It's like, you got to figure out what, what specific behavior do you want specific people to engage in and then work backwards from that behavior to create something that first builds the emotion. Because without the emotion, without the feeling, the behavior will not follow. So first figure out the behavior and then say, okay, what emotion will trigger that behavior, right? So then you work backwards that way. I totally agree with that. We just did our Q2 campaign planning. I started the whole thing off with what I call bananas campaigns. And so we broke up into groups. I said, everyone, every group has to come up with a campaign. Your budget is $1 billion. You have two years to execute on this. There will be prizes for who comes up with the most wildly impossible to accomplish marketing plan possible. Right. And so when we got into real campaign planning, we came out with a flood of ideas, more than we'd ever be able to execute on. So many that were so good we were after our dar darlings. And that's kind of the point of it, right? Don't don't start with the the minutia. Start really big and then start to whittle it down into reality. That's right. Yeah. And then when the CRO says, All right, you got three months at a hundred thousand dollars, you do that all over again and say, That but with no resources and no time. <laughs> right. That <Yeah. laughs> with without Rihanna. That's that's, that's yeah. <laughs> yep that's great you can cover the ocean in five minutes with a hypersonic jet you got a rowboat and three people okay i'll see you in three hours yeah yeah <laughs> so good awesome so any closing words as we wrap up this awesome discussion i've worked with a lot of marketers who get really frustrated because they've got interesting breakthrough ideas but they can't get it approved or, or it gets up to a certain level and then it gets squashed and then they get really frustrated and like why why am i working here and i can't ever do anything interesting one of the challenges is and i think one of the skills of b2b marketers who understand how to break through is a as i mentioned earlier understanding how to sell it in effectively internally but b taking a big idea and figuring out how to break it into a small piece that you can test so what can yep. you do to take the cmo's fear away or, or the CRO's fear away. Can you take this big idea and say, all right, we're only going to do it one day. We're only going to do it on one channel. We're only going to do it for all one right. audience type. We're only going to do it. We're, we're going to basically take every nth and, and execute it there to prove to you that A, it outperforms what you're thinking of, which is boring. And, and B, it's not going to create like this firestorm of controversy that you're worried about. And that's a skill, right? To understand how to take a big idea and make it a small idea that you can actually test and a lot of people say, well, they didn't buy off on my whole campaign where we're going to clone for dogs. And well, yeah, bro, that's a lot. Like you went from boring to like supersonic in like one conference call. Fantastic. Justin? Yeah, I think at this point in most podcasts like this, it's what blogs do you read? What's what business book would you recommend? Blah, blah, blah. My answer is always like, absolutely not. Other than Jay Bear's books, which I have many of on my bookcase right here. I honestly try to avoid anything as, as much as possible because that's exactly everyone is doing the exact same thing again. And you got to find your new ideas somewhere else. And so that's what I would like to just share with the audience is like, look, look in unexpected places for ideas. Well, if I could just tag on that for a second, every time I'm at an event, giving a presentation and somebody says, 
well, that doesn't apply to us because we're B2B. I want to come across the, the lectern and strangle them. Like Justin talked about it, right? He came from B2C. Like if you want to be inspired to do breakthrough B2B work, look at the breakthrough B2C work and then just adopt it, right? Yeah, that's that's amazing. A good gut check for sure on before we execute this campaign, you do the obvious things. Is it going to help sales? Does it lead to the product? But then... Is, any, is anyone even going to give a shit when it's all said and done? Are you doing fantastic. a stepping in front of a train at that point? Like trains already coming. Yeah. You just yeah. like, oh, paid search, <laughs> jumped in front of a train, right? Like it's, it's not, you haven't created demand. All you're doing is fulfilling demand that already exists. Yep. Yep. And, and the starting small, I think is fantastic. And, and setting that as a precedence as a marketing leader to say, we're going to do these small things. It's going to be 10% of our budget, 10% of our work, and then actually executing on it so that... Mm-hmm. The business leaders aren't surprised by it. And your team knows that that next fund project's coming around next quarter. It, it, it sets a tone that gives you more flexibility, I think. Almost every B2C brand of note has a 10% experimental budget for marketing, right? Where they're doing, let's do some weird, like whatever. That's why you got a bunch of sponsors on Clubhouse in five seconds back in the day, right? And, and B2B brands don't do that very often, right? They don't have, they don't keep the experimental, let's just try weird stuff and see if it might work. Exactly. That's great. Well, thank you both for joining. This was super fun and and definitely interesting. Got a lot of good takeaways on how to even start this process and then what to do when you're in that process. So that's fantastic. If you want to hear more of our podcasts and listen to this one, go to chronologic.com forward slash podcast and like and subscribe, as my six-year-old likes to say. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. Have a good one, everyone. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. Hopefully this was a bright spot in your day. You can go ahead and listen to more episodes at chronologic.com forward slash podcast and give us a five-star review and subscribe if you just want to hear more and get a bet. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>